0: Hey everyone, Uh, this episode speaks about transphobia and homophobia and also violence towards trans people. So, if that raised anything for you, there will be resources in the show notes and give it a miss. Listener Production. Today, this podcast is being recorded on Gadigal land. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of this country and elders past, present. We extend our respect to any First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people joining us today.
1: It's a lot, isn't
0: it? Hi, everyone. This is uh, a guest that... I mean, I got endless excited responses to when I posted asking for questions. They are an incredible gender non-conforming online presence poet, writer, just activist icon that
2: Lem lost her shit
1: when we found I out. I lost my
2: shit. Yes. I freaking love this person. I've, I'm not on Instagram a lot. But when that person came on Instagram, I fucking was on Instagram a lot. Because every single yeah. thing that comes out of their mouth is like, Perfection. okay, I need to fucking take 10 minutes and think about this. Yes. yes. This Mind is the time. Of- yes. yes.
0: So we have the amazing Alok Vadman. And hello, gorgeous. How are you going?
3: Hi. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Hey. I'm so excited to have you. So yeah, Kath. My best friend cried when she heard everyone in my little um, boxes. You know when you put a little you go questions for so and so. Most of them were just I don't know what to say because they're so incredible and intelligent. And that's how I feel watching all of your content and listening to interviews you've done. I just feel that I come away from it and just feel so in like nourished from what you have to say. So I'm really excited to, to have a chat with you.
3: I'm excited to be here. And I promise we can also take a <laughs> piss at me too. Great. To p- That's
0: awesome. Great. We love that. Let's not just be serious. So first of all, you're coming to Australia. I think your show, your show's completely sold out. I feel like I want you to plug sold, them. But out, I feel as though they sold it.
3: We sold out Sydney and one show in Melbourne, but the rest are still open.
0: Great. Okay. So if you want tickets... Get them. We'll put a link in the show notes. We'll be able to get tickets. Um, I'm sure everyone will want to see you after this. Um, So my, my listeners are kind of on a broad spectrum of their understanding of, I guess, different intersectional issues. I think we have people who have, like, teenagers who maybe are 17, 18. We have people who are, you know, maybe were a bit more conservative and then they find me on, because I do mainstream TV a bit, so they find me there, then they kind of have their, like, minds change. We also have people who are gender non-conforming and and are very, you know, understanding of how how things you would speak about, right? So I'd love to just have, like, even just, like, a base chat about your story. So you grew up in Texas, which obviously is not the most left-wing place in the world, not the most progressive place in the world, and as a a gender non-conforming person of colour, can we just speak about your experience there and kind of a quick summary of your journey to where you are now?
3: Yeah, you know, it's like how to take eighteen years of foundational trauma and put it in like a two-minute soundbite. <laughs> yeah, sorry, like elevator pitch. It was it was homo on the range,
1: mm-hmm. really.
3: Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was uh, unfortunately, as someone committed to challenging all stereotypes, it's difficult because my hometown in Texas might confirm all the stereotypes that one might have around Texas.
1: right? So right, it okay. was very
3: Texas, Texas. Uh, I reckon y'all are so confused right now that you got a non-binary trans family <laughs> called Station, Texas. That was me. And, you know, it was an exercise in having to justify my existence continually every single day. Every fund- everything about me was fundamentally wrong. Mm-hmm. From a very young age, I was t- I was told, not just implied, but told that I didn't belong. I mean, one of my first memories was someone telling me that I had dirt all over my body and that oh I had God. to go and wash my hands to get the dirt off. So I went and I scrubbed my hands for an oh. hour and a half in the sink. And then my mom came and was like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm dirty. And she said, what? Like, it's a kind of place where I was just made to feel miserable. And so from a young age, I had to grow up really quickly yeah. because I was having to deal with so much racism and homophobia and didn't have the vocabulary of racism and homophobia. So when you're a young person, you think it's just because I'm wrong. And I had to grow up really quick. And from a young age, I started to dream one day I'm going to get out of here. And so I, I, I think maybe like at five years old, I, I, I schemed out the next 13 years of my life, I said, I'm going to try to fit in as much as I can. And I'm going to work really hard in school. And then I'm going to get a scholarship and I'm going to leave this town. Mm-hmm. And then when I finally did that, I was like, awkward. Now I don't know how to, how to like live the rest of my life.
1: Mm-hmm. It
3: felt like I was on stolen time because it was always about getting out. Yeah, um, And I, I just hate that I had to deal with that as a young person. And I hate that it really hasn't gotten better for trans young kids in Texas, where our state is still passing this horrible legislation against them.
0: Yeah, what what's the most recent legislation they're passing against trans kids in Texas?
3: Yeah, so the governor basically is telling the state to investigate supportive parents of trans kids for child abuse, which is oh, man. despicable. So they're threatening to separate kids from their parents and put them into the foster care system because they're saying that these parents pose a danger to the kid. Then we're seeing the banning of LGBTQ topics in schools. Yes, We're seeing trans kids, of course, be policed out of sports, policed out of bathrooms and other facilities. We're seeing um, policies where teachers have to report to parents if their kids are challenging gender norms or questioning gender in their own life. We're seeing different words be banned from schools. We're seeing pride paraphernalia be banned. It's escalating. In fact, my book, Beyond the Gender Binary, was included in a list of 800 books that Texas legislatures were trying to ban from public schools. And that really hit me quite deeply because I wrote that book about my experiences growing up in Texas for young people in states like Texas. And that's why they're trying to ban it, right? Like it's because they know that when young people get access to comprehensive information about LGBTQ people, they understand that they're not the problem. It's the homophobia and the transphobia that's the problem.
0: Yes, absolutely. So how do you see a, a huge question that speaking of American politics that my followers asked was how do you see the experience of, of trans people in the US compared to the rest of the world?
3: Yeah. Here's the thing it's it's awful all across the world. Totally. There's no nowhere that there's a utopia. About the US. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, it's really, I mean, everyone has their own local transphobia. Mm. Um, It's it's pretty bad everywhere. But what's unique about the U.S. is it's escalated to legislation. Mm. And this should be a warning cry for everyone across the world, is that it's being codified into law. So what we saw, like, in Florida with the don't say gay and don't say trans bills, is, like, legislation that will punish and fire teachers for mentioning the existence of LGBTQ people, right? Mm. Like what we're actually seeing now is an attempt to legislate trans and non-binary people outside of public space. So the the cautionary tale the United States can show the rest of the world is if you don't challenge this cultural transphobia, it's gonna translate into legislative. Mm -hmm. And I think the next thing that is really important to understand in the context of the U.S. is that we might project ourselves as an LGBTQ safe haven, but that's never been the case for trans people of color and especially black trans people. We have some of the highest rates of murder in the world in the United States, specifically targeting black trans people and black trans women. And that's what's often really frustrating when I'm performing to audiences across the world is people will be like, oh, in the US, you produce such amazing LGBTQ content. It must be great there. And I'm like, it's great if you're a white cis man. Yeah. But if you're a trans and gender nonconforming racialized person, you're still having to deal with lethal nexies of violence.
0: Yeah. So how is your experience online in comparison, online and also speaking and being in kind of these safe spaces, almost echo chambers in comparison to your everyday existence where people don't know who you are, just walking down the street. They don't know who you are, what you do. How do you find that?
3: You know, it's really weird because living in a city like New York, I sometimes have fans approach me, to say, like, I love your work or you move me. But my initial bodily reaction is they're coming to physically attack me.
1: Yeah, right.
3: And so when I'm in public, I'm in guard mode because I'm harassed every single day. People throw trash at me, people take photos without my consent, people mm-hmm. laugh at me. Wow. People are talking about me like I'm not even there. People take out their cameras and film me and I'm constantly made into a spectacle. So I have to be hypervigilant all the time, even in a city like New York. There's never been a single place in the world and I've lived all across the world where I felt safe. I've never, I've never known that sensation. Safety is something I have to afford to myself internally. It's never been something that's been granted to me on the yeah. outside. Yeah. But also that's my experience online as well. I think what I really want people to understand is that you see, you might see the supportive stuff the love and affirmation, but trust and believe there are (laughs) thousands of hateful things. People spread lies about me all the time as a way to defame my character and make people fear trans people and justify an anti-trans crusade. Mm -hmm. My body gets turned into memes. I'll wake up and it's a new meme with millions of people commenting monkey emojis or razors or saying that I should hang myself or that I should die. And what I really want people to understand is social media companies do nothing about this because it makes them money. So people will tell lies about people like me and they'll go viral because this manufacturing of outrage Mm -hmm. makes these social media corporations money. So the same companies that will say that they support LGBTQ people during Pride don't do anything when we point out the fact that our lives are being constantly threatened on these platforms, right? Yeah. So I think what has really been surreal for me is that even though I've had so much success in terms of my career and being able to reach people, so much love and affirmation and support that many gender non-conforming people have never experienced, and I'm so privileged for that, it's also exposed me to even more vitriol and violence because I'm so visible. And that's the joy of being non-binary is I just want to teach the world it can be both at the same time. It can be both the most thrilling and exciting thing in the world to sell out a venue and the most devastating to know that the minute I walk out on the street wearing that exact outfit I was wearing on stage, I could be killed. And to have to hold that in your nervous system, like how do you get your nervous system to relax when you're like, I'm safe, I'm good. No, I'm not. I'm safe, I'm good. What? It's very confusing.
0: And also the the safe is very extreme safe it's very like a big warm hug I imagine when you when you do feel completely yeah. it's it, it's like you'd been I, I imagine it would feel almost like you've been running a marathon you get to the end you get a glass of water like you like your whole life you've felt like you're just fighting against this and you get into a space where you've sold out a venue to speak and be exactly who you are and then you get your glass of water and they're like, do it again, run again, like go, go back to
1: it.
3: And, you know, this is why actually I was so excited to come back to Australia because my last tour in Australia actually was the first time I was physically assaulted in public. So I had actually given a keynote presentation in Melbourne in the middle of the day. And then I was taking the train and some stranger punched me in the face and no one on the tram what? did anything. And he said, I'm OK with gay people, but you're too much. And it's my first time coming to Australia since that. And that's why I wanted to come back. I wanted to come back because I wanted to show the world, you can't get rid of people like me. You can't disappear people like me. And not only that, I love you more than you are capable of hating me because I understand why you're doing what you're doing even more than you do. I get it. You're threatened by me because you were taught from a young age that you had to compromise your individuality, that you had to fit into boxes and categories in order to be loved. And what I'm showing you is that I love myself for the very things that you feel shame within you. And it is easier to get rid of me than it is to reckon with that pain inside of yourself that you have committed an, a spiritual and emotional genocide against your authenticity and that I am a mirror for you. And so my return to Australia is to hold that mirror to this entire country and ask, are you willing to see yourself that actually people like me, there are many stories like that of other people in Australia today. How can we say that we're democratic nations with Mm -hmm. equal rights when gender non-conforming people live in existential terror every day? How can we believe that trans and non-binary people are the threat whenever our physical safety is called into question every single day. So that's why I think this trip is really personal for me is because that moment crystallized that dynamic we were speaking about of getting a standing ovation, actually, of hundreds of people saying to me, thank you so much for being here, but no one asking me how I was getting home.
1: Yeah. And
3: that's the pain of being a public figure while also being gender non-conforming, Yes, people assume that I'm safer than I am. Yes. People assume that things are easier than they are mm-hmm. when they're not.
0: How do you have an experience? First of all, I'm so sorry that happened to you at all. That's horrendous, um, but unfortunately not that surprising. Australia is quite a conservative place uh, at times. But how do you have, because you speak with such Compassion, And I feel like you harness your anger and turn that into compassion and understanding. But how do you have something like that happen and not lose your fucking mind?
3: Shout out to therapy. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> True. <You know>. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um.
3: You know, I wasn't in therapy at the time. I was in my early 20s. Forgive me, I didn't understand. (laughs) And now, now, as a peak millennial cringe, I hold the the club membership to millennial cringe as like a 30-something-year-old healing (laughs) my inner child. Like, Mm. I get it now is, you know, trauma is not, what happened to us on the outside trauma is what happens to us on the inside, the psychological wound from what happened to us. And I didn't even realize that I had trauma from that incident until years later when I was like, because at that time when you're in fight or flight, you're just kind of like, okay, I have to go to the next gig. Like, oh my gosh, that was really horrible, but I don't really have time to process that. And you put it on the shelf and then it materializes as like a sense of you're losing memory you're mm. experiencing physical symptoms in your body that you don't know where they came from. And all the doctors are like, you look great. You don't trust people. You find it difficult to go outside because the entire world becomes your trigger when you're gender mm. non-conforming. Mm. Being in public space means people will scrutinize you. I can't, A uh, social isolation, I was used to that. Quarantining, I was used to that because that's what I have to do some days when I'm afraid of being gawked at or laughed at or insulted or poked or prodded. And so I went to therapy with all of this and I was expecting that I would feel rage and I did, but pretty soon that became compassion. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually what I am devoting this tour as, is I'm beginning with a speech at the Festival of Dangerous Ideas in Sydney and what the subheader of that speech is, a love letter to the man who bashed me. And what I'm trying to devote this tour to is to loving homophobic and transphobic people because they don't love themselves. Imagine you could spend your day at a picnic, playing Mario Kart, crocheting, learning a new language. And instead, you're going to send vitriol to trans and non-binary people. Yeah.
0: My mom says, go get that a means- hobby and garden. <laughs> My mom always goes, they should go yeah. and just fucking garden, honestly. Go
3: clean your pool, but is what she says. <laughs> they don't believe that their time is precious. They That's don't believe true. that their life is worth luxury and beauty and dignity mm. and joy. Mm. Ultimately, that says much more about them than it says about me. It's an interchangeable object because ultimately, they cannot reckon with their own life and their own misery, and their own anguish, and their own torment. So all of these acts of violence are elaborate pleas for help. They mistake wounds as mouths, Mm. and they speak from their pain continually. And I know it, and I see it. And so when I began to focus on healing myself after that trip, and that was a foundational shift in my entire political and emotional world, is previously I would have been that person like, they're horrible. And now I'm that person like, I love you because I get it. Because what I was able to realize is if I had not done the work on myself, I could have been that man on the train. Yeah. I hated queer and trans people because I grew up in a culture that taught me to hate queer and trans people. How did I stop? I stopped because I met queer and trans people who loved me and I'd never been loved before. What what my straight family taught me love was, was be small, invisibilize yourself, cater to other people's whims, fantasies, and desires. Don't express who you want to be. What queer people taught me is I'm here to witness your perpetual becoming. You can figure it out with me. And when I had queer people love me like that, it unlocked authenticity And then it became a kind of chain reaction. And I want to bring that love to the world because I think queer love saved my life. Yeah. And everything I do is from that kernel of wanting to teach the world that love is about being yourself, not betraying it.
0: When you finally got that love from from queer people, did you find it hard to accept at all? So hard. Yeah, to fully love I still yourself. Do. Yeah, really. Talk about I'm that often a bit. so
3: mean to myself. Like, okay, for example, after this interview's over, mm-hmm. I'm gonna be thinking, "Wow, I came across as such a douchebag. <laughs> I should have cracked more jokes. Why am I so serious loke? Oh my god, I could. I I will just be so mean to myself. Yeah. And then my friends will be like, "Hey, do you think you could be a little bit more compassionate? Like, you're trying your best. I'd be like. R- it's really hard for me to receive that. And that's why we need friends is to have someone in the room mm. reminding us, hey, you're trying your best or I love you anyways. And it's not about what you're doing. It's never been about what you're doing or how well you do it. It's about who you are and how you show up. Yeah. And that matters more. And it's really difficult. I flinch. Yeah. I'm like, Ugh.
0: Yeah. Ew. It's important to have friends as well that you can say that you feel like shit to. Like, do you, how do you how do you choose who becomes your close friend? Because you're a very considered, intelligent person. So I imagine you have quite pre-established boundaries with friends, or do you not because you because you want to love everyone and you're so compassionate?
3: Abby is out here with the hot questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I my astrological sign is cancer, so right. I'm peak water sign vibes here. Mm-hmm. And my response is about to be the most water sign thing probably ever articulated in the airwaves. I love everyone in the entire world so hard, it brings me so much pain and sadness. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I so
0: cancer. I love so-
3: living in the city. so <laughs> cancer, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love living in New York City because I get to just sit on the train, sit on the park bench and I just see everyone. And I'm like, I love you all so much. Like you're trying so hard to live in a world that is so mean and cruel and I'm Mm. rooting for you. Mm. And sometimes I even just shout it at strangers. Like I'm like, you're amazing. And I am so proud of you. they are looking like, whoa, I just feel so much love. And then very few people are able to receive it to your point before. Yeah. And what I've had to really learn is like, I cannot convince people to receive love. So that means I'm going to repel the people who are not ready for it. And I'm going to magnetize the people who are. And what I've done in my life is I've magnetized people who are committed to vulnerability, who are committed to love, who are committed to communication, who are committed to (laughs) oversharing, who are committed to slumber parties as a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. And those are my best friends.
2: Can I actually ask, like, I was wondering when you were talking about authenticity as well. So I'm queer and I'm from Jordan in the Middle East. And just recently I've been actually, as a result of coming on Abby's show too, been thinking about being a bit more public on Instagram. And when I did talk to my parents, they lost their fucking shit. That yeah. was like a week ago. Like, no one needs to know. You need to just, you know, do what you want to do, but just kind of hide. And when I spoke to my therapist, also in therapy, she she told me, you need to live your authentic self. That's what you're doing. That's what you're seeking. That's what you're searching. And I think that's what a lot of people who don't conform, let's Mm -hmm. say, with the current um, norms feel, is that they can't be authentic and that's the real struggle. So coming from a collectivist background, I think we might share that. There's this thing where you need to be living as an extension of the other. You need to be, you know, if I'm your mom and you're my daughter then you need to be, you're also representing me with whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. And cutting that tie is really difficult because Mm -hmm. you're like, I want to be Mm -hmm. my authentic self, but it's in direct contradiction with how you brought me up. Mm -hmm. So my question to Mm -hmm. you is, how do you balance or how did you manage to kind of potentially still live within this collectivist environment that you grew up in and retain that pride that that comes with the collective culture and some of the great things that come with collectivist cultures, but also kind of diverge into the queer space, let's say, yeah, be able to 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 manage that without losing your identity without, you know what i what I got termed westernized, you know, Not, like oh she's right. she's gone with them now. She's an individualistic. Person right, who doesn't right, really right. care, who's selfish. So how, I know it's like freaking five minutes from me asking that question. How do you balance between collectivism and maintaining authenticity that puts you on the individual like spectrum, let's say?
3: Yeah, you know, I talk to my mom on the phone every day. So shout out to collectivism. <laughs> my mom knows more about what I'm doing in a day than anyone else. We mm. are best friends and I am so close with my family. I want us to rewrite the narrative. What our parents often say is a contradiction of their love. I actually want to rewrite as a confirmation of their love. The courage that my parents demonstrated as immigrants, the ability to maintain dignity in the face of relentless racism, to transmit history and culture and knowledge, despite my vociferous discontent, When my parents would speak to me in our local languages growing up, I'd say, I don't want to hear it. I want to be like these other people. My parents loving me, even when I hated them because they were an emblem of everything I was embarrassed about and still (laughs) clothing my ass and feeding Mm -hmm. me rice balls Mm -hmm. in my own face. That taught me that I was worth fighting for. And that showed me that I had worth. And that's the worthiness that brought me to my queerness. Mm. So actually, queerness is seen as a departure from our brownness or from our collectivism, but I want us to actually say it's a return to. And that's where we have to talk about colonization and imperialism. Mm. What so many people are mistaking as culture is really the byproduct of colonization and imperialism. Yeah. When we look at our actual histories as racialized people. We have deep traditions of respect for gender fluidity and for sexual fluidity, but that was demonized by European conquest, made to feel like we were backwards and rogue. And so people were indoctrinated into a version of their culture by the colonists and the imperialists. I mean, where I'm from in India, We had sodomy legislation on the books that came from the British. That's true. That actually the first criminalizing of trans people was under British ordinances and laws when in fact we had had deep traditions. And right, I don't want to romanticize or glorify this because there's always been homophobia and transphobia, like we said everywhere. But it became accelerated and enabled and enhanced by the West. So what I started to do with my own family is I'd say, okay, you say that I'm, no longer proud about being Indian. Let's talk about history. And I learned my own history. And I learned the words that had always existed for people in my own culture. And I decolonized the vocabulary around queerness so that when I spoke to them, they could understand, oh wait, this comes from that place. That actually you're not departing us. One of my best performances ever was in my hometown village in Kerala, where my dad's family is from. And my grandmother, who I called my achima, was at the show. I was mortified. Imagine, like my entire front row was all of my family elders and like the family matriarch. All, and here I am like in a dress on stage, like making lewd jokes. Like, how am I supposed to recover from that? I'm mortified. And then after the show, my achima came up to me and she put her palm on my face. And she said, I didn't understand a single thing that you said but I heard the word of God in you. And that's all it is. My grandfather, all of these elders in my family, after the fight, could see the clarity and the confidence with which I spoke in my queerness and were able to see that's the same thing that I was afraid of you losing. And there's a reason, right? That behind every anti-racist, decolonial struggle, it's queer, trans, and feminists on the front lines. That's the embarrassing part. It's often us who are fighting for our whole people, and we get unreciprocated love when they tell us that we're glorifying Western individualism. Like, please.
0: <laughs> so what what would you say? I mean, parental relationships are difficult enough without adding in yeah. queerness <laughs> and 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 race and culture. What advice do you have people who are terrified of coming out and terrified of of really living that authenticity because they know for certain their family will not want anything to do with them.
3: Yeah. So first of all, you don't have to come out. And coming out as a framework is not even one that I subscribe to mm-hmm. because the closet presumes that I was something that I was not. Mm-hmm. I've always been queer. Mm-hmm. I've always been trans and and straight cis people don't have to announce to everyone, "Hey, everyone, I'm excited to let you like
1: <laughs> I'm heteronormativity."
3: Six. Right? Yeah. Assumes that that straight and cis people are natural, and yep. that queer and trans people are an aberration that have to disclose. What I when I'm talking about authenticity, it's not about visibility; it's about energy. It's an orientation, not a destination. Mm-hmm. So, it is still an authentic thing for a queer person to say, "I'm going to tell." certain friends in my life about my queerness and not my family. I don't think that you're less than because of that. I think you're smart and I think you're strategic and I think that you're living your best life. That's cool. I think that this focus on everyone having to like be out and be an identity is misguided in a culture when we don't have the resources to support people who are kicked out of their families when they do, who we don't actually have infrastructure like LGBTQ homeless centers for young people Mm -hmm. who'd be disowned by their families. It's disingenuous to me to require everyone to be visible without building infrastructure to support them when they are, right? So what I would say to people who are struggling with authenticity is, do you accept yourself? That's the person whose validation matters most. And that's the hardest validation to get. And most queer stories we hear it's about my parents didn't accept me, my culture didn't accept me, my religion didn't accept me. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But did you accept you? And the truth is many queer people don't accept themselves for being queer. Many queer people would rather be straight or would rather be cis or see queerness or see transness as something that's derailed their lives. And they still mistake internalized self-betrayal and self-hatred as a personality and as an identity. And that's when we're saying pride, it's a practice and a process that's going to take our entire lives of unlearning shame. Mm. And that's the work I'm trying to do. That's why I'm returning to Australia is because I am trying to be proud of me. Because after that incident on the train, my head went to, why did I wear heels in the middle of the day? Maybe I should have been more discreet. My head went to, why didn't I take a car? Why did I take public transport? My head went to, you are the problem. Mm. And it was only through compassion that I was able to be like, no, 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 I'm not the problem. I get to be queer. I get to be gender nonconforming. I get to wear what I want to wear. I don't have to live in fear.
0: Yeah. And when you're getting pushed back continually, particularly with you online, like when you're putting yourself out there and you get all this trolling, like you said, and all these memes being made and all these rumours being spread, it, There, there is a continual reminder and maybe it kind of... It has to build up walls a bit more. and You have to continually, every day, reassess your authenticity. I can imagine it would be hard to, it's not It's not a straight journey. It's that you have to continually remind yourself and get back into the right headspace. And that, that's work every single day, every single fucking day, right?
3: But guess what? That's not just the work for me as a gender nonconforming person of colour. That's the work for every human being.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
3: this is why I'm really trying to push the conversation yeah, I want to talk about gender, but can we talk about humanity? Because actually what I'm going through is the human condition. We're taught that we only be loved if we disappear ourselves. We're taught to prioritize other people's fantasies of who we should be over who we know ourselves to be. That's something that every single human being can relate to is this idea of conditional acceptance and conditional love that there are certain things that you're not allowed to share about yourself because they're too much or they're not enough, Mm -hmm. that we have to constantly sculpt ourselves into something in order to be loved and integrated. And that's why ultimately what I'm trying to do is not just a gender revolution, it's a love revolution. I'm trying to redefine love. Love is not about self-betrayal. It's not, it's really not. And I know that's so scary for people to hear because that's the only version of love that we're taught. But I, I want to get really personal because I think that this stuff lands different when we don't make it in ideas, but in people. Mm-hmm. I just lost my aunt a few months ago. I'm sorry. She was a really prominent lesbian activist here in the United States. She was actually the first woman and the first racialized person to lead a national gay rights organization in the U.S. I.e., I make a lot of sense because I had access to a lesbian feminist of color yeah. as a young person who taught me and introduced me to the world. Mm-hmm. And at the, at the, my aunt's funeral, my other aunt told a story about her that I just broke down. We grew up in a really traditional Indian family, which meant we never said that we loved each other to each other. The way that we showed love was through actions, never words, or even physical displays of affection. It would be my mom packing my suitcase for me, but never <laughs> saying that she loved me. Like That yeah. was like too much. Yeah. <laughs> and so what my aunt's story was, was that Orvishi my aunt who died learned how to say, I love you from queer people dying from AIDS and caretaking for people dying of HIV and AIDS. She learned how to start speaking her love as people were dying. And so then she started to tell my grandmother, I love you. And then my grandmother would flinch and not receive it. And then my grandmother became comfortable with it. And then my grandmother started to say it to me. And that I grew up with a grandparent who knew how to say that they loved me Mm. because of the work that she put in, right? And so what I'm trying to get people to recognize is that queer people are actually exercising love. It's not about any of this other stuff, the pronouns, the language, whatever. We're actually clarifying what love is. Mm -hmm. We're teaching the world what love is. And I'm sorry that you were taught that you had to make yourself small. That was not love. I'm sorry that you were taught that you had to disappear yourself. That was not love. What love is, is being yourself.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just sitting here like this. I'm like, (laughs) like, you are just so fabulous. I wanted to ask you as well. I saw you spoke about social media being like uh, a glass cage and and an online freak show and you said queer people of colour are on your Pinterest boards but not on the runways. And I wondered... How do you think social media and that kind of freak show, uh, as, you, as you put it, has affected the reality at, offline for trans people? Do you think it's obvious it's out of visibility and there are probably trans kids and trans actually adults who have been able to feel that, that queer love through social media that you were speaking about before that's so important? But how do you think that kind of... Yeah, the freak show element changes the way that people who aren't so loving and and are that stereotypical Texan town, as you're talking about before that you're from. How do you think that's affected the way they see trans people and then the experience for trans people?
3: So I think the first thing we have to really name is that when we're speaking about visibility of LGBTQ people in media, we're often talking about LGBTQ content creators. Mm -hmm. But the truth is the most media... Is produced by straight cis conservatives about LGBTQ people. That is the number one media produced around LGBTQ people. So actually misinformation and disinformation, which is the deliberate lies that are spread around trans people in countries like the United States, we have the data to show how that leads to this anti-trans legislation because people read about it online. Yep. So I think the first thing is when people are saying this community is just so visible, mm, what we need to make visible is all the people who are not us speaking about us. You're hearing other people's projections and insecurities, not our realities. Because what that's led to is people thinking that we're just self-indulgent snowflakes whose biggest issues are being misgendered. I cannot walk outside without fear of physical brutality. And you have the caucasity to tell me that I'm being self-indulgent. Imagine Having to live your entire life orchestrating every single decision around the looming presence of physical violence. Every single decision. Yeah. What plane, whatever I'm gonna stay in a plane, what I wear on the plane, if I'm gonna get groped by a TSA officer. Every single place that I go, my body's infringed upon. I'm here in New York Fashion Week. On social media, it looks amazing. People are looking at the photos saying, wow, Alok. Your outfits are gorgeous. Can I be honest with you? When I'm taking these portraits in New York City, dozens of people are laughing at me. Dozens of people are taking out their cameras, filming me, taking photos. I don't know where those photos and videos are going. Then I go to these functions. People start touching me, saying, oh my God, like, wow, why do you keep your body here? Like I'm a, a fucking petting zoo, right? So what an image does is only show you the tip of the iceberg. And what I'm trying to do with my art form is to be three-dimensional and complex. Yes, I am fabulous. Yes, I am fashionable. Yes, I am powerful. And I'm under attack. Mm -hmm. So every time you consume content by queer creators, I want you to understand the economy that surrounds us, knowing that we're going to get hate mail, right? Like when I work with brands, they're often shocked when we get hate mail. And I'm yes. like, this should actually be part of the collaboration. You should understand that it's your job. I'm at work and I'm being harassed at work. That's what we need to start framing this as. I'm being harassed at work and you're watching willfully as people harass me and you're acting shocked about it. Yes. And then I think the reason that I talked about social media as a glass cage is because what I really want people to really be honest with yourselves is you follow a loke on social media but where are the elokes in your own community? Where are the elokes on your subway trains? Where are the elokes in your friend groups? We're not there often. And it's not that we don't exist. It's that you willfully do not see us. You integrate us. I'm often called the first. And do you realize how gross that is? There have been people like me for hundreds of years. There will be people like me for hundreds of years. You just willfully do not see us. So what people need to understand is that social media is an invitation to a real-life practice of destroying the gender binary in your own life. Why do you not have spaces in your own life for people to challenge gender norms? Mm. Are you thinking about creating safe spaces for the people in your own life who are non-binary and trans?
0: So how do you you think that that element makes people, I don't know, not desensitized, but do you think... Yeah, I guess he's sensitized to all of the pain that you go through, I guess unaware because it does have a shiny coat on it.
3: Yes, it does. And once again, I really want to ask our audiences, and I trust that our audiences can do this because I like you, Abby. So I'm yes. just presuming <laughs> and proje- projecting yes. that I would like a lot of the people listening.
0: I think you would. You I think can you would.
3: You can hold both. I'm not saying. Hey everyone, gender non-conforming people are under attack. I don't want to define us by our violence. Mm -hmm. That's boring. It's not like every single day I'm like, oh my gosh, tragedy.
1: Mm.
3: I mean, yes, I'm a cancer, so yes, every day I'm saying everything. Sorry, full disclosure. I am coming out as tragic, (laughs) but
0: episode title done. Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Also. Amidst that tragedy, I'm also cracking jokes. I'm also chilling. Yeah. I'm also relaxing. Having I'm also, a joyful it's life. Both and. Yeah. But I think that what my frustration with social media is, is it functions on what I call the tragedy triumph binary. Oh, Where yes. the only way that we accrue value is our glow up or our breakdown. Mm. but not our actual everyday boringness and ordinariness. And I think that trans people only matter to the world as content, either content to look at and say, that's disgusting. At least I'm not that or content to look at and say, that's inspirational. Wow. Mm. You're so powerful. Why mm. can't we just be? Yeah, I don't want trans people to have to be High achieving, powerful people in order to be seen. Mm. I want trans people to be able to do whatever the hell that they want and still not fear being misgendered. Like I have accomplished so much in my life because I thought that if I was successful, that would humanize me. Mm. Now, shout out to therapy. (laughs) This (laughs) is one long elaborate PR, like go to therapy if you're not. Therapy.
0: um, Yeah
3: now I realized it doesn't matter how successful I'll be. And that's what the incident in Melbourne taught me. And I'm so grateful for that incident because I was organizing under the premise that if I sell out a venue or if I am able to go across the world and people know the words to my poems, then I will be safe. That will never happen. And I had to have the courage to break my own heart because that's what I, as a young child in Texas was telling myself, work hard, work hard, work hard, Mm. be excellent. And Mm. then they will love you. But Mm. then I realized I shouldn't have had to ever be excellent because this was never about who I was. This is about what they were doing to me. And this is not about queer people having to be more palatable to straight people. This is not about trans people having to confirm your ideas of what a man or woman should look like. This is not about us being digestible. What is left for us when we're finished being consumed? Mm. This is about your self-hatred that's taking parades and displays every single day as the form of violence against trans and non-binary people. Mm. Do
0: you get tired? Like, do you get tired of having to constantly fight and constantly educate other people on just your mere existence?
3: Yes, and that's why I do comedy. And I'm so excited to invite everyone in Australia to come to my comedy shows because it's my therapy. Because comedy is the only way that I'm still alive. Yeah. Because being able to take a piss at other people and myself brings me so much joy. I can't even, like, my joke that I make on stage is that we need to protect jokes from men in pants (laughs) because jokes (laughs) are too innocent they need to be shielded from the predatory and delinquent interests of men in pants people have been taught that humor is just misogyny you can dress up your misogyny and call it comedy that's not comedy comedy for me begins with oppressed people begins with women begins with trans and queer people who are like how do i despite everything that the patriarchy has taught me to hate about myself still have a fucking good time and so comedy then is not about making other people laugh. It's about the intentional cultivation of my joy. Yeah. And that's a very different relationship to comedic practice. And that's why I'm so excited about the show that I'm touring is people often come up to me afterwards and they say, I had no idea you were so funny. And I said, that says more about you than it says about me. <laughs> Absolutely. I've been funny. Yeah. You just can't see it. You can't compute it because you're thinking if I experienced that kind of violence, I'd be woeful and sad. But I want you to understand I know who I am so securely and so confidently that I don't need to spend my time trying to convince people. That means I get to spend my time having a great time, Yeah, which means I'm having the best time of my life. I am really having such a great time being alive. And I want to share that through my humor.
0: We'd love to see a joyous cancer. We
3: love that. We love
0: to see a joyful cancer, but still tragic. Twi- it's,
3: it's plot twist. Yeah, yes. it's
0: like that was the biggest thing that I learned was that a cancer can be joyful. That was that was the biggest takeaway. Um,
3: Actually, oh, lol sob. You know that emoji with like the smiling and the tear?
0: Yeah,
3: yeah. That's my gender.
0: That's. <laughs> oh my god! Like I have loved. Speaking with you, you are just an absolute light. Everyone, get tickets to the show. If you can, Melbourne and Sydney. Sorry, suck it up. I mean, maybe there's just- a
3: second show in Melbourne. There's a second show in Melbourne. Don't second spread show false and- news. Sorry, Abby. Sorry, I was sorry, just talking me. about how false news about sorry, trans fal- people I'm is circulating sorry. as it's reality.
0: actually fucked up. I'm <laughs> spreading a rumor. I'm a rumor that no one gets tickets, and I've, I've ruined ticket sales. But thank you so much, Hello. I'm gonna be.
3: I'm gonna be there on stage at my second show, being like, no one is here specifically because of Abby, Abby. and your mentions are gonna be on fire.
0: Oh my god, I actually will get fucking destroyed. My best friend. Would kill me. She, they would kill me. Well, they're she, they, but they, would, they just wanted to scrape my head off. I think they're actually going to your show. So, um, okay. if you see a little blonde curly hair nugget crying, that's probably them. Um, but we'll definitely use them. You're acting uh, as
3: if that's not the entire demographic of my show. I know but- <laughs> that was a drive of both you and me.
0: Blonde curly hair nuggets. <laughs> um, I, I just love talking to you. You are just, you are just fucking brilliant. And don't go away from this interview thinking you were anything but fucking brilliant. And if you see a video on Instagram of my face doing this while you're talking, it's only because you're too (laughs) fucking brilliant. So you are incredible. What do you want to plug? Obviously the tickets to the show, but anything else. Tell everyone where to find you you know, how to be involved in your life, where to buy your book.
3: We plug so much here. We We plug, 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 baby.
0: We're just the plug. Yeah, we
3: plugged a lot. Mm. Yeah, I just want to say to people, not a plug, I just want to say that I love you and I'm so grateful for you and I'm so proud of you and I'm here for your continual journey of learning and unlearning and I'm just geeked out genuinely to be able to exist on the same planet as you.
0: You're a fabulous human. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate. it. And know it's late and hot there. Go turn your aircon on.
3: And now I'm going to turn on my air conditioning. Fuck yeah! And I'm going to eat this Chinese takeout that I've had oh, next to me this yeah. entire time.
0: <gasps> <laughs> I would <laughs> I eat during the show. I'm, surprised. I'm just yeah. going babe, Have it. What, what have you got?
3: <laughs> Every time I burp, it's a new gender. That that would happen. <laughs> I <in any laughs> so. love it.
0: Thank you so much, George. Enjoy enjoy your Chinese.
3: Okay. Thanks so much.
1: Listener.